0: Oh, dear listeners, before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe vs. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all of us. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds, as Planned Parenthood and Democrats generally have enough money. You can help by donating to local abortion funds, and to find out where to donate for each state, you can visit donationsforabortion.com. That's the number four, donationsforabortion.com. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs.
1: And I am not Kay, I'm Pace, and my pronouns are either no third person pronouns or they, them.
0: This week, Kay is out, finally hit with COVID, so while she rests as much as possible, friend of the podcast and co-host of our sibling podcast, horror nerds at church, Pace Warfield May is joining us. We are wishing Kay all the best and all the rest in recovery and hope you join our excitement at having Pace back for this special episode. Welcome Pace!
1: Yay, thanks for inviting me back and I along with you am wishing Kay well wishes and a speedy recovery while she's at home. Uh, In this episode, we'll discuss the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Proper 14, or Lectionary 19, which this year falls on August 7th.
0: We have a couple content notifications for this episode. In the deep dive, we talk about the Lutheran Church aligning with Nazis in the Holocaust and in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. And in the first reading, we talk about queer phobia at NASA. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode.
1: Awesome. For our deep dive, we're going to be talking about something very exciting for me, I guess taking advantage of the fact that I am guest co-hosting this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about righteousness, and of course for me that instantly triggers in my mind Martin Luther's sermon, The Two Kinds of Righteousness, so I'm going to dive a little bit deeply into that. Generally, what do you think of when you think of righteousness?
0: So my experience, particularly as like a person who went to graduate school to learn about the Bible, (laughs) um, when I think about righteousness, I know like growing up, righteousness always seems like somebody being perfect and somebody Mm -hmm. doing all of the most perfect things. But actually, when it comes to like a biblical understanding of the word, that is translated particularly from Hebrew as righteous or righteousness. It actually means being in right relationship. So you don't have to be perfect in order to be in right relationship. And I love Abraham, especially as the example of this, because he was definitely not perfect. (laughs) There was exploitation, there was rape, there was all sorts of things. And so like his faith Means that like God reckons it to him as righteousness, and that means that like God realizes and reckons, uh, recognizes that Abraham and God are in right relationship. I also think like it's not a permanent thing, right? Like, I am 99% sure that Abraham and God were not always in a right relationship. (laughs) It seems like maybe the whole binding of Isaac thing was maybe like questionable relationship and some. Communication at yeah. a very minimum. Yep, yep. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. What about you? Uh, yeah, I, I, it's one of those words that you just like growing up in the church. It's one of those words that people like to throw around a lot, but nobody ever like takes the time to say this is what righteousness means, or this is what grace means, this is what sin means. It's just we're expected to, I guess, come out of the womb with these <laughs> words, like some sort of working definition of what these terms mean. Um, or maybe they're instilled upon us at baptism or something, I don't know. But anyway, uh, for Luther, his his understanding of righteousness, though, isn't that much different from what you described as the biblical understanding of righteousness. For Luther, righteousness has something to do with justice, and it's uh, part of his sermon on two kinds of righteousness. He goes into what people call the two kingdoms theory towards the end of that sermon, and he talks about, like, civic justice versus... And communal justice versus kind of like a interpersonal justice and um the kind of christian justice and so all that is kind of tied into his understanding of what righteousness is but for luther his sermon he, he wrote two sermons probably about the same time fifth um in 1518 or 1519 so shortly after the 95 theses uh, were published one was called The Two Kinds of Righteousness, which is the more well-known one. The other one was called The Three Kinds of Righteousness, which isn't as well-known. But I'll focus on The Two Kinds of Righteousness, because that's kind of the one that most people think of when they think of Luther and righteousness. And basically, he talked The Two Kinds of Righteousness for Luther. Uh, I feel like align very well with this passage, because this idea of reckoning righteousness to Abraham, this kind of righteousness coming from an external source to Abraham, as opposed to righteousness being something that is inherent within Abraham. So Luther mm-hmm. describes righteousness as what is called proper righteousness, which is kind of the innate sense of justice and right relationship and stuff within us. And that's proper righteousness. And then there's this external righteousness called alien righteousness which is given to us through faith by christ and um for luther who's big on sin um as you know we can't no human truly is able to live out this proper righteousness this righteousness within us um perfectly so our righteousness has to come from an outside source to kind of trigger and work with and work alongside our proper righteousness to make things happen, to help justice happen and stuff. So, okay. um, basically, th- this is where I I love talking about this, um, and I I pity whether it's me or Kay or Emily or whomever has to end up editing this episode because I can go on for hours about Luther. But I'll try <laughs> to keep it brief, but this is yeah. But this is where it gets into kind of that really fun stuff I love about Luther, where mm-hmm. Luther was very much a mystic and Luther very much had this idea of um, the church marrying uh, Jesus and all of us individually as members of the church being wed to Jesus in something called the happy exchange through faith, um, which has these erotic and sexual undertones kind of in it for Luther. And so this idea of like this kind of connection to Jesus, this erotic, mystical, deep spiritual connection. And it's through that, that we are given our proper, we are given our alien righteousness that works with our proper righteousness. So we are able to work for justice in the world because Christ gives us his own sense of justice and his own sense of righteousness. And then that inspires within us the need to go out into the world and do justice. Um, So I Mm -hmm. I love this passage with Abraham because it talks right there about faith. Abraham's Mm -hmm. faith is what inspires God to reckon unto Abraham righteousness. So I feel like this is, uh, Luther doesn't quote this passage in particular in his sermon. He talks about Philippians mostly, uh, Mm -hmm. but I I feel like nevertheless, this this kind of aligns very well with Luther's understanding of righteousness.
0: So, okay, so I have a question then. When it comes to, right, like you you talked about this alien righteousness, which combines with proper righteousness, which leads us to work for justice in the world. And one of the things that you talked about a little bit earlier was the two kingdoms. Mm-hmm. I know what that is because I learned about it in college because I went to Lutheran college and in seminary. But not all of our listeners are Lutheran. And even those Out that are 13. Lutheran... <laughs> We love that not all our listeners are Lutheran. For sure. But even those that are may or may not have learned about Luther's understanding of the two kingdoms. And so there's this sense, I think, especially that the two kingdoms, like people frequently talk about the two kingdoms and also talk about Jesus saying, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. And I think that is used as a way of saying like, No, leave the government alone. The government is fine. The government is doing what it needs to do. We should not be involved. We should not be active. We should not be trying to do stuff with it. And that is complicated, especially right now, as we have, right, like Roe v. Wade just got overturned and like all sorts of different things that are unjust that are happening from the perspective of the government. So, can you like tease that out a bit and like explain? more of what's going on with that yeah two,
1: i have to admit like i'm a luther scholar i love luther and two kingdoms is not so not one of his theories that i'm like super gung-ho about in my own personal kind of understanding of the of theology the way he kind of frames it out but mm-hmm. it's it, but it kind of is similar to what you're saying this kind of understanding that there is the kingdom of god and then there's this kind of earthly kingdom this earthly realm and the way that justice looks for Luther is different on those two things, because the in order for there to be a society where justice is served, like, for instance, a murderer or something may need to be uh, tried under justice, uh, under mm-hmm. a civil justice, even if that murderer is a baptized believing Christian, that person might get a different kind of justice in God's kingdom, there's there's this sense for in order for people to live together as community, there needs to be rules, there needs to be these kind of um, structures in place to allow people to live together, to coexist. And Luther s- says that God's justice um, is lived most truly through the gospel, most truly through the kingdom of through the divine kingdom, through God's kingdom or realm of glory or whatever term you want to use for it. And so the earthly kingdom kind of has this lesser justice, but the lesser justice is still kind of needed or required to live together peacefully, and it's still meant to serve God. And so Luther would be very upset, and was very upset and would write about it when he felt that the earthly kingdom, the princes and rulers and principalities of his day, were not living up to the justice that he felt they should be. Um, And he even wrote like to German nobility and a few of his treatises and stuff were addressed to kind of how do we live out in this earthly kingdom um, the best possible way, this sense of God's justice. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more complicated than a lot of people think of it as. It's not like the separation of church and state like it's sometimes framed as. And I know the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, has sometimes, and other Lutheran denominations, have sometimes used two kingdoms to not have a say in things that they should have a say in. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess this will need to be added to the content warnings, but I mean, like, just think about, like, the uh, German Lutheran Church's role in the Holocaust of just being completely hands-off, of not wanting to really have a say at all because that was an earthly kingdom matter whereas people like bonhoeffer and bart and stuff were fighting back against that and saying no this is status confessionis, which is basically the protecting the marginalized protecting the jewish people and stuff are part and parcel of what it means to live out the gospel so so that's one of the reasons why i personally am not a huge fan of the two kingdoms theory just because it has been and continues to be used in really harmful ways but um, for Luther, it all—it really all just comes down to justice. How do we live out God's justice? And that looks different on a gospel level than it does on an earthly level for reasons. I might not agree with Luther's reasons, but like <laughs> that's kind of—that's kind of the sense. There is that sometimes, sometimes the princes and rulers and stuff may need to do may need to do things that are not necessarily considered good within the light of the gospel, but in order to preserve justice and preserve safety for everybody.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting, that's fascinating to me because I think like there is a way in which that has implications for like how people think about policing, right? Like Mm -hmm. I understand Mm -hmm. policing to be harmful. There are other things we could do to keep communities safe that would actually keep communities safe, but involves time and investment and those sorts of things but like the way that you frame that like it could be that sort of thing or like punishment right like where mm-hmm. we have a god who says through the prophets through Jesus i will set the captives free and yet there is a perceived need for imprisoning people mm-hmm. who commit crimes but yeah. also like who makes the laws right and that's that's the like i think so many people think that laws are neutral and they are mm-hmm. not they are made by people yeah. with power in positions of power frequently To maintain their power.
1: For sure. And one of the biggest issues, one of the reasons I really don't like to talk about two kingdoms theory in a present-day political context is when Luther was living, there wasn't a separation of church and state, really. I mean, he lived under the Holy Roman Empire, which was supposedly this God-ordained empire of christianity and everybody he knew for the most part was baptized society was kind of this homogeneous up until he kind of messed it up with his unintended mm-hmm. reformation was this homogeneous kind of catholic understanding of jesus and of the church and so it you we really can't just take luther's understanding of justice and righteousness and Um, the two kingdoms and just transport it into our present day without acknowledging the ways it's very different and one of those things is like with things like policing and stuff luther in the 16th century german monk you know believed in good order probably it definitely had a lot of ideas that i wouldn't agree with about that but he also had a lot of like social reforming ideas like the community chest this kind of how do we serve the poor among us in the best way so that they have the their needs met. Um, things like mm-hmm. universal education, like L- Luther is very much on social programming as well in a way that I feel like aligns more closely with a lot of anti-policing views of how society mm-hmm. can work. So I feel like under Luther's framework, even though it can't be adapted wholesale or whole cloth to today, I, I feel like he aligns very much with this idea that the best way to prevent crime, the best way to make sure um, to to make sure society is ordered, is, is to first meet the needs of the people. So everybody is fed, everybody is educated, everybody, uh, and and do that first, and then um, you might need other sort of laws and stuff in place to help continue that to live out that sense of order and justice.
0: Mm-hmm. And that brings, I mean, that's a whole different approach to the ways that faith impacts government than what is currently the dominant thing happening in our country, which is where conservative Christians have a completely non-biblical basis for which they are defining what it means to be human and mm-hmm. using that to take away rights and to control people. And so that's like the piece, I guess, that I'm taking away is the when faith is pushing into government, it should be in a way that cares for the most vulnerable and that protects people which like there's a little bit of like the complicated if you completely and utterly change the definition of what a person is then like yes it's going to be harder but like that if we're not completely making up a definition of personhood that doesn't make sense in any context then it it raises this space where there is support for protecting trans people in the midst of all of these like attempts at at like sports bans and bans on gender affirming care and all of that stuff but it also then like means protecting people and protecting people who can get pregnant who have uteruses when they are seeking health care that like their health and life is the utmost priority
1: yeah
0: yeah but like that's i feel like progressive christians in particular get like like, white progressive christians in particular get so nervous about pushing into the government from a faith perspective that it's hard to like navigate and like, because we are at the same time saying it's okay when it's progressive, but it's not okay when it's conservative, right? And that's like, I don't know, that's just like so complicated. And I always struggle to like name how it's different for people, except to say that like, it is different. And part of it is, who are you protecting? Like, what are your goals? girls power and control yeah. over other people or protection of vulnerable people but yeah, yeah.
1: and I, I mean tied in with that is like I, I can i can speak critically of the elca because of my close lifelong association with it <laughs> and this is one thing that i just find very interesting is luther was bold enough to write these letters to the rulers of his time to tell him what they should do how they should better protect people how they should better order society and stuff like that so we have this legacy in Lutheran kind of understanding of having a very clear ideas of what kind of things we should say and make here I stand moments and stuff like that interacting with the government it wasn't in this bubble all to himself of just only church he was doing this um, openly and with the princes and rulers of his day and so I just find it so strange the timidity of the elca about certain social things like this and progressive christians in general just like when we have this legacy of luther wasn't always right and that's the Mm -hmm. other thing too is like we know we are human and prone to not having the best ideas and stuff about how to do this but as community we definitely can and should have a say and make a stand on how to communicate the best ways from from our perspective of the gospel to care for others in the most marginalized
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. so i feel like that's getting way off topic from righteousness <laughs> but it's all kind of connected because yeah. if righteousness is justice and right relationship then, then it's, it's all fine. kind of tied up in there
0: yeah definitely
1: and then i just wanted to quick say about the three kinds of righteousness which was luther was not a systematic theologian so he kind of <laughs> didn't have this like he had clearly a framework
0: thank you for naming that because i think there is this <laughs> like assumption in lutheranism that like luther was a systematic theologian or at least huh. his theological claims and states can be systematized and i was like i don't know yeah thank you luther scholar thank you <laughs>
1: That definitely was not Luther's concern. I mean, Melanchthon and some of the other reformers and people came after tried to systematize the reformed theology. But for Luther, like, you can just see in the fact that he has two sermons that came out at about the same time, were written about the same time. One was saying there's two kinds of righteousness. One was saying there's three kinds of righteousness. He clearly didn't have this huge systematic framework for how everything worked but the three kinds of righteousness doesn't quite align with the two kinds of righteousness and um the third kind of righteousness is kind of tied into this notion that god works justice and stuff through the non-christian world that serves kind of this christian purpose so i can so in our interreligious world i can see why we've kind of shied away from that notion that our christian god is out there making sure the hindus are doing Uh, Christian things for God's kingdom like yeah no but definitely not not right but but like but at least there's this acknowledgement for Luther that there can be good and justice and righteousness outside of the Christian church and God has a hand in that so
0: yeah that's fascinating to me because when you first started saying it I was like ooh, this is exciting because (laughs) I frequently and I talked about this especially like in 2020 I frequently experienced God at work and the Holy spirit at work. And I experienced communities of faith in protests against police brutality. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just the other week in this text study that I'm in, we were talking about that. And somebody said like the Holy, like what if we need the Holy spirit to be community and like, we can point to communities and, and like point out that the Holy spirit is at work. And I was like, okay, but also like, the people that I found church with, and that I ex- and through whom I experienced God, would not necessarily understand themselves as part of the Christian church, or, or even understand God as existing. Mm-hmm. And so then that like that brings it to like a whole other complicated thing, right? Of like who is imposing whose view? If it's Luther's like third kind of righteousness as a way to acknowledge that. Outside of Christianity, good and justice and liberation exist and are possible and are in action, and and people are working towards that. Great if it's to say anything outside of Christianity that is good is really secretly Christian, then it's like, uh, no. Yeah.
1: No, 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 For no. Luther, in Luther's mindset, he maybe only knew like five to 10 people in his entire life who were not baptized. So everybody was Christian that he knew and had relationship with for the most part, which is also why he was able to say some really awful things about the Turks and the Jews and stuff using his language. Uh, but for him, there is no separation between, like goodness means gospel, goodness means Christ. And so one cannot do good without Christ being involved. And so if there's good happening in the world, Christ has to be involved and it has to be this understand Luther's understanding of christ um and and i and that i feel like just kind of comes from this very like i was saying homogenous very christian culture and it's another thing we we as contemporary people who study or work with some of these older reformers or even some of the church parents like augustine and stuff like that like if we're using this we need to remember the context they're in and make sure that we recognize in our context we believe that the whole entire world uh, hopefully we believe that good is capable in the whole entire world and it doesn't necessarily have to be connected to our frame of what the divine is and that maybe other people can teach us as well about their framework for divine or not for divine however they see goodness at work in the world Mm -hmm, oh luther i can keep talking about but we should probably get into the readings
0: huh i mean yes and no yeah, I'm really excited that you were on to talk about this because it's like we had a different deep dive that we were planning on for this before you became the like last minute guest co-host. And I, <laughs> and I actually like, think that this was a really good and helpful one. I'm curious if you know of other like understandings of righteousness beyond Luther, if you've done any of like that sort of comparative to either Luther's contemporaries or other theologies I know you and our other friend and friend of the podcast, River Needham, are big in process theology. So I'm curious if there's like a space where process theology talks about righteousness. I didn't prep you for this, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, off the top of my head, is hard to think of like any co- sort of pieces that can be like compared well with Luther. I will say that righteousness kind of at its simplest form just means this nature of doing good and that itself is such a nebulous concept that pretty much anybody who talks about righteousness can approach it from a different way i i know through process theology and stuff there's and even in like um wesleyanism and luther himself with things like the third use of the law go back and listen to the reformation episode if you want to hear more about what that is yes. i'm not going to explain it here but
0: I'll link to it in the episode description.
1: But yeah, just this notion that sanctification, which is this idea of God working through us to make us holy, is something that Luther believed in. It's something that the Wesleyans, which is kind of the forerunners to the Methodist Church, the Wesley brothers, mm-hmm. and process theology and stuff, kind of have this notion that God can work in the moment to work to help us do good and work towards righteousness. Now. Um, For luther righteousness isn't an end goal that can be fully completed in this life for some of the others it can be but i I feel like that's kind of the bigger distinction is how people is righteousness something that can be achieved or not fully and for luther it's a no um for people like uh the wesley brothers it's uh maybe probably (laughs) and so so i think that's probably the bigger point of disagreement there
0: interesting and then process theology would say no but it's always yeah. in process.
1: Yep, everything is in process.
0: Gotcha. cool. Then as we will dive into our readings and our first reading, we've already kind of talked about a little bit, but it is Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Abram and Sarai are promised a biological heir by God, despite their age, and that their descendants will outnumber the stars. Abram's faith leads God to call him righteous. So Start out and talk about themes.
1: Yeah, I, for this kind of passage as a whole, it seems like both. It seems like legacy is kind of what's at stake, mm. um, especially. Well, I don't know how nerdy we want to get into like. He, early Hebrew understandings of afterlife but there wasn't much of one so it's like really through your descendants that you can have a kind of lasting legacy and so for a barren couple such as Abram and Sarai it really calls into question what kind of legacy can I leave behind and so for me I, that that connects instantly to <laughs> I, I have to be on brand as a horror nerd but <laughs> It connects to the Child's Play or Chucky franchise, the little uh, murderous slasher doll, if you've mm, ever seen or heard of him. <laughs> right? But the two there were two made for TV movies and also a TV show that are all pretty recent. And in those, especially Cult of Chucky and Curse of Chucky and the Chucky TV show, Chucky is very concerned about legacy and and how he can kind of live out this how he can outlast this kind of sense of mortality. mortality. Mm. And he does that in various conniving ways. Of course, the first instinct I have to think of is how, how can I connect this to horror? So that <laughs> that's where it is for me. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> fascinating. I am not familiar with Chucky. I have been warned that Chucky might be in my future as co-host <laughs> of Horror Nerds at Church. But mine was the show Travelers which I was introduced to by Susanna Porter, a friend of the podcast. Everybody's a friend of the podcast when they're a friend of mine, I guess. Yep. (laughs) But the Travelers TV show is based on the premise that in the future, there's like a lot more technological advances and you can move consciousness back to a certain point and that sort of thing. Mm. And, but the state of the earth is terrible, which is very believable based on, Our current reality and how we're not addressing climate change or fascism, all of those things. So, people in the future send people's consciousness back to the past so that they can try to like fix things and make things better because they trace it back to one specific point. And so, they think if they can fix that, if they can stop this Mm. one like meteor from hitting Earth, then they'll be okay. And but as you like go through the show, the legacy that is created is that it doesn't necessarily make things better. It, like, different opportunities then arise for things to get worse. And that happens, like, again and again and again. Every time they'd shift things, there's a different, like, completely unpredictable legacy that it creates for people who are sending people back. And so then it's just, like, new missions and new people and all of that stuff. Yeah. So that, that was an uh, interesting.
1: I haven't seen that show. But I feel like it, I've seen previews. Or, is it? Is Does that have the actor from Will and Grace in it? Or am I thinking of yeah. a different Time yeah. Traveler show? It does? Okay. Yep. So, yeah, I have seen yeah. previews for that one. It was like, now I'm curious. I want to give it a shot.
0: It was a cool show. I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the way it, like, made me think about different things and different aspects of stuff. And it's, like, a whole different sense of, like, it just, like, has a different, like, sense of thinking about like the butterfly effect and those sorts of things where it's like, what does, what impact can you have? Especially given like our pervasive nature to like do selfish and mean things. How can you possibly impact? Yeah. And then as we look at the verses in verse one, we read, after these things, the word of God came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And My immediate thought was like, okay, is this, like, Captain America's shield? <laughs> Where, like, yeah. it's it's going to be very, very efficient and protective? Or is it the better than brainy. that? Or yeah. is it, like, Wonder Woman's armbands? What exactly does this shield look like?
1: love it, yeah. Hopefully not with the very patriotic star and American flag colors on it, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, but... like
0: the pre-painted one. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's just, like, a silver shield.
1: Yep, yep. In verse 5, God brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. And I instantly thought of Carl Sagan's billions and billions. That was probably the worst impersonation of Carl Sagan ever but um billions (laughs) and billions from uh, Cosmos and he didn't actually say that that was based off a parody of him in uh Saturday Night Live but I still just love that Uh concept of thinking of the universe just how many stars are out there billions and billions actually trillions and trillions I was gonna say (laughs) now we
0: know it's more than that but yeah Uh, I did not see Carl Sagan's version of Cosmos I saw others but I was also thinking of verse 5 and was thinking about how now we can count them with so much better clarity because of the new JWS telescope. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, you might also have heard it called the James Webb Space Telescope or the Webb Telescope. I specifically will now and forever in the future talk about the JWS Telescope or JWST. Uh, because Webb was the head of NASA at a time period in the 50s and 60s where queerphobic policies were leading to people being fired because of sexual orientation and gender identity, and he was partly responsible for that, and that was in the lead-up to and including the Lavender Scare. And then there's an article that we'll link to if you want to know more information about that, but there was a push to rename the telescope and it was rejected by probably people who are not queer. Let's just
1: yeah. say. That. Although JWS makes me think of Jehovah Witnesses, which might oh, not be, no. its, which might be its own sort of. But kind that's of like issue. JW,
0: not JWS, right?
1: True. I think so. Yeah.
0: It's also like but, a mix up of social justice warriors. Yeah. <laughs> so we could just but, make it the SJW. Just move the S to the S-J-W, front, and then it could be better. like they could call it. Space of James Webb Telescope, and we could call it SJW Telescope, and it'd be
1: social justice. There we go. (laughs) Perfect, and that I think is going to be what I refer to it from now on myself. (laughs) The SJW, the Social Justice (laughs) Telescope. That's what it is. Perfect. Verse six reads, "And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned." it to Abram as righteousness. And we talked a lot about this in the beginning uh, in the deep dive, Mm -hmm. but also it made me think of Soren Kierkegaard and his, he's really interested in Abram's faith in fear and trembling. Uh, His book he wrote about the teleological suspension of the ethical as an end to the arc of this passage. So the telos basically just means the kind of end sort of not goal that's like the a ends
0: justify it, the means
1: kind of and, and in this sense like it's god's end with the sacrifice of isaac as a means of testing abram's faith and so he, but here we kind of see the tellus of this passage itself is going to reach its climax later on in the isaac on uh, sacrifice of isaac story so how are we understanding abram's faith being reckoned to him in uh, the righteousness being reckoned to him through faith in this passage if faith is what's going to be tested later on in that very problematic story which you've already referenced so yeah that's what i was thinking of.
0: interesting that's fascinating to me. i remember talking about deontological and teleological and one other logical <laughs> approaches to <laughs> ethics and stuff in my christian ethics class in college and loved talking about that and i'm very much more of a deontological person, though I have, like, vacations and venture in I visit teleological more now than I did, because so we live in a very corrupt world. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: I think we're ready to move on to the second reading, which is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 16. The author gives a classic definition of faith and gives examples of what faith looks like, especially the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. For me, again, horror reference, uh-huh. I was thinking of the TV show, Freddy's Nightmares, which is a spin-off of Nightmare on Elm Street, which, listeners, Ooh. if you like the Freddy Krueger sort of stuff, that's what we're covering on season four of Horror Nerds at Church coming out September. So, and we have a special guest co-host turned into permanent co-host, Emily, Woo-hoo. Pastor Emily is going to be joining us for that. So get ready. You're going to be watching this show too for our BooTubes. <laughs> But um, episode one, I won't spoil it too much because, like I said, we're going to cover it in um, BooTubes, but uh, the there's this kind of conflict between faith in the justice system versus faith in vigilante justice uh, versus faith in good ultimately trying, triumphing over evil. And kind of the end of that questions all three. And all three are kind of found wanting that faith in all of those things were kind of misplaced.
0: Ooh, it's almost like that was a false trinary of, like, picking any one thing doesn't work. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. We (laughs) definitely talked about false binaries, so this will be a fun new one. False trinary. Yeah. In that vein, though, like, I really like superhero movies, but the more... That I watch them. Like the longer that I've been watching them, the more suspicious and critical I get of the superheroes because of this, mm-hmm. particularly because of the vigilante justice part. So, like sure. Batman is the best example of this, right? Like he's literally like a billionaire and could solve a significant amount of crime if he just like gave away his money to people living in situations of poverty, um, because we know that when people don't have enough money. And don't have enough resources and don't have enough opportunities. Like, when you can't do it by legal means, it's going to happen by other means. Yeah. And so we are better and have safer communities when everybody has enough money and food and shelter and health care. Yeah. So maybe try again, Batman.
1: Yeah, Batman exploiting people's labor to become a billionaire so he can buy, buy things with his money to beat up the people he exploited the labor of yeah cool
0: and and even but, that like he inherited <laughs> a bunch of it right like he inherited yeah. it from his dad who exploited people's labor and yeah, yeah. it's you know and, kind of like Elon Musk saying yeah you win. tell me how you would solve world poverty with, $6 billion, with like $6 million or whatever, $6 billion. Yeah. And then the UN is like, okay, here's what we would do. And then he's like, JK, I'm not giving that to you. Ah.
1: Right, right. Definitely, though, I'm going to keep referencing Horror Nerds at Church as my <laughs> obligation, but check out our Batman Returns episode from season two. Paige Stauffer was the guest host co-host for that one, and they and I went into Batman pretty hard on this kind of concept, so it's a fun episode.
0: Yeah, I don't remember if I've seen that one. I'll have to go back and listen to it because it's, I do, like, I I have seen Batman Returns. Some of them it's tricky for me in, like, past episodes before I started co-hosting because I just hadn't seen them. And so I was, like, well, it doesn't make sense. Although there was one that you did with Olivia Laflamme Washington that was great. And I was, like, I know this person and I just want to hear you two talk about it together that was really fun. <laughs> um,
1: Friday the 13th, um, the remake. That was a weird movie, um, but it was a great episode. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So definitely check it out and we'll link to Batman Returns. And in general, we're linking to Horror Nerds at Church. So you can check that out. And then in verse one, we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I have this like particular place of nostalgia for this verse, I think because it's, like, spoken in one of the, like, Christian music songs that I used to listen to and still have CDs for. But this has, like, this aspect of, like, hope being tied also to, like, timing, right? Like, there is this waiting for the timing to be just right, waiting for something to happen that is not yet visible and, like, all the sp- suspenseful shows and shows with villains have like this aspect of like, ta-da, big surprise, big reveal, big whatever. <laughs> but I am still working my way through Vampirina, which we did as a BooTube episode for Patreon supporters for Horror Nerds at Church this past year. And just watched an episode the other day where The Great Esmeralda is the name of the episode. And Esmeralda is a fortune teller who comes to stay at vampirina's family's scare b and she keeps getting her timing all wrong on these like little predictions of like and now someone will come through the door right now now na- now 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 <laughs> right <laughs> and so it like yeah. calls into question like faith in and hope in her predictions yeah but also in like what is to come then the bigger prediction still happens and like, other, other things. But it was just, like, an interesting connection piece there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I – oh, gosh, I love that show. I need to catch up on it.
0: It's adorable. And
1: – It really is.
0: Like, spoilers, there is a point at which Edgar finds out. I know. Mm. Now you really want to get back into it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Y'all should uh, definitely check it out, Z- though. It's on Disney+, Plus, and it's adorable. Right, yeah. And – my favorite
1: four-year-old loves it so Uh, continuing though with this idea of faith being things that aren't necessarily seen verse 3 says by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of god so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible from things that are invisible in fact i would say and that Kind of similarly made me think of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I can't think it came out in 1991 or around Mm -hmm. there. Uh, But there's a scene where the main character, Indy, has to cross this wide chasm, basically like um, Grand Canyon, picture that in your mind. And he has to just Mm -hmm. kind of cross from one side to the other. And the instruction is to just walk by faith across it. So he closes his eyes and takes a step. And lo and behold, there is a bridge there is just painted to look like the floor. So like from his perspective, he couldn't see it. So, mm-hmm. I, so I'm so i tying directly into this notion of faith, faith in things that you can't see, but are there nonetheless.
0: Yeah, that is a, that that trope happens a few different times, I think. I remember vaguely remember that i've watched the indiana jones movies like back when i was a kid but not recently and then jumping ahead to verse 14 we read for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland this this resonated with me in a different way this time and like it just felt so queer to me Mm. Mm -hmm. this like sense of not being not belonging where you are at And there's aspects of the like storytelling of this and of Abraham's story that are very problematic in terms of colonization and like taking over a land that is already inhabited versus being a sojourner among other people in the ways that that has impacted Christian colonization and also impacted what is happening in the Middle East right now with Palestine being encroached upon again and again and again by the country of Israel. But this like queer people speaking and acting in a way that like it is clear that we don't belong and that like a lot of bigoted ki- bigoted families like teach their kids to respond to that by with hatred and bullying but it's also like this beautiful connection piece like that the outcasts and the ones that the misfits belong together so like the house that i live in is lovingly called The Island of Misfit Toys from those like Claymation Rudolph Rudolph stuff, right? Where like all of the ones who don't fit find a place to fit and find belonging and community and chosen families. It also is like a very clear shout out to refugees who are seeking homelands because their homeland is no longer safe and The ongoing need to continue to build up our refugee resettlement programs and willingness to resettle refugees, especially since we're the ones causing so many refugees.
1: Right, right. And verse 16 kind of continues this theme and it begins, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one and... Just reading that put brought into mind um, the title of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which is itself a reference to Hamlet's famous to be or not to be soliloquy, to be or not to be, whether mm. it is nobler in the... I could quote the whole thing, but I won't. But <laughs> the part that The Undiscovered Country comes from is Hamlet is talking about death, and he says death is essentially... The undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. and. In Star Trek VI, the film, it's kind of this Cold War analog uh, between the Klingon Empire and the Federation of Planets. And Mm -hmm. um, the undiscovered country is kind of this undiscovered future of peace where maybe these two warring things can come together. Mm -hmm. And in Hamlet, of course, it's death. And I feel like this is kind of, this passage is could kind of be about both this idea of this peaceful eschatological end times future which can be a physical future a physical reality but also can be this end times teleological to go back to that (laughs) notion of like peace in the future god's peace and justice finally being felt through all the world so through all the cosmos indeed in fact
0: yeah i am not the star trek nerd on this podcast Kay usually is, but it also reminds me of like the Time Lords and the Daleks in this like Mm. eternal fight and struggle that like has been literally removed from space time in order to keep everybody else safe, but that there is this like hoped for reality where there is not that
1: battle. I'm glad I can fill in for the Star Trek nerd too, (laughs) as Kay is not with us right now. So
0: I'm sure the Trekkies who listen to this podcast will be much appreciative of your. (laughs) And then as we make it to our gospel reading, our gospel for this episode is Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 40. Jesus reminds the disciples they have nothing to fear and to remain alert for his return because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.
1: Yeah, yeah. I instantly think of just this idea. So this parable about the slaves or servants uh, being watchful and waiting for the master's return makes me think of Uh, Again, horror. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. The slashers genre in particular, where there's this final girl trope who always is... The one who's able to make it to the end and she's able to make it to the end because she's the one who's always waiting she's always alert she is looking around and knows her surroundings in ways that some of the other characters are oblivious to and mm-hmm. perhaps the greatest example of this is um Laurie Strode in the Halloween franchise a uh, shout out to season one <laughs> of Horners at Church I can't help it sorry but so, we like making connections yeah thank you is
0: there a particular <laughs> episode that most I would say
1: our episode on the 2018 Halloween film.
0: Okay, yeah. We will link to that in that episode description. I was thinking of that concept as like less of a like <laughs> horror trope and more of a anxiety for the win. <laughs> Being completely anxious and on edge and alert of ev- for everything is actually like a winning part in horror movies (laughs) that is how you don't die
1: yep and that might be why me as a very 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 anxious person loves horror movies because it it confirms that my anxiety help will help me stay alive (laughs) where these other characters will not so it makes it feel like the anxiety is at least for a reason
0: it's like our anxiety is for a reason it's just that sometimes that reason is the chemical's our body needs versus the chemicals our body has or because everything in the world is uh, a hellscape.
1: (laughs) Right. One of the two. The bigger question is how those of y'all who aren't anxious can.
0: Can not be anxious.
1: Do you not see the world?
0: (laughs) (laughs) How do you live? Well, and that reminds me of this one article that you referenced. So you have been helping out with doing querying like this summer, which is my blog and this last one, you connected to an article that talked about like existential dread and the climate Mm -hmm. and and where that space is for existential dread. And I will see if I can't find that article and link to it because I think it's a really helpful link for all of us who have anxiety and existential dread about the climate, about the world, any of that stuff. Right.
1: Uh, Kind of one of the pieces of that article that really resonated is that we talk about how dread is like a bad emotion. We should try to move out of that emotion because it's bad and harmful, but maybe it's not bad. Maybe it's, maybe we need to reframe the way we talk about
0: mm-hmm.
1: these emotions. We're false binary between good and bad emotions, huh? mm-hmm. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm.
0: So. Yeah, there's, I was doing a couple like research interviews this week and they had like a thing that was a question about like negative emotions. And it was like, not necessary for me to like correct them, but I was just like, emotions are emotions. They're not negative or positive. They're just emotions. So dread is a reasonable, dread is even a reasonable response to a lot of what is happening in our world right now. It's okay to feel dread. We just don't want to be paralyzed by our emotions. And that's a different kind of thing.
1: For real. Um, Well, verse 33 says sell your possessions and give alms make purses for yourself that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys and that makes me think about one of the many iterations of superman lore is if you ever notice in the comics and even many of the movies his costume appears indestructible even though we know Superman is indestructible, how come his costume is as well? And mm-hmm. in this particular iteration, Superman's cape would always get destroyed, but not his the rest of his costume. Mm. So whenever he's in a big battle, his cape would be like all tattered and stuff, but the rest of his costume would be fine. Real world reason for that is because of modesty, probably. You don't want to have like <laughs> Superman uh, naked after a battle. Speak for yourself. But within the, right, right. Well, I mean. Pace will not comment. This is not the After Hours podcast. But but in this particular iteration, Superman has this tiny force field that protects his costume, but the force field doesn't extend as far as his cape, so the sunlight that interacts with his cells and gives him his power crates. It's like little tiny few millimeter thick sheen of indestructibility around him that keeps most of his costume safe, just sadly not his cape. so. So even if you made a purse out of Superman's costume, it would not necessarily be indestructible unless he himself was somehow in part of the purse too, I guess. Yeah,
0: which is like really solidifying advice in The Incredibles. Of don't wear capes. Capes are bad. Even though I yeah. desperately want to yep, yep. Like, I would love to have a cape. Not even necessarily like a superhero cape, but like a cape to keep warm and a cape with like a hood maybe. And like, it just seems like the perfect I mean, winter thing.
1: You are a pastor. You can get a cope. Those exist. I don't want a, Liturgical I don't
0: want a cape to wear in worship. It's hot enough in worship as it is. A,
1: or be a drag performer, drag king, drag queen, drag envy, and just wear a cape as many drag folks do so Edna Mode would not be designing drag people's costumes I'm sure but (laughs) she'll design superheroes costumes
0: yeah that's fair yeah I just want to wear it for regular I don't want to like have to be all dragged out for it but yeah
1: I mean how many little kids just walk around in capes all the time just live into your inner Emily your inner child Emily wear a cape
0: it's true. And like that's one of the liberative things about the pandemic for many folks who were <laughs> able to work from home is like then it was like, Oh, we can wear comfortable clothes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's do that. Yep. and have that space to be more authentically ourselves.
1: So what you're saying is when we start recording for H and E C season four, you're gonna be showing up in a cape. You better be the <laughs> same. I'm expecting this now.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll have to get a couple paychecks <laughs> under my belt before I can afford a cape, but okay. Sure. Uh-huh. Then in verse 34, we have one of my favorite promises in the Bible. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love this because it is, in fact, a promise, right? This promise that where you put your treasure, there your heart will follow. So you have some say in where you want your heart to go. You can make your heart go towards the church, towards justice, towards anti-racism work, towards decolonization, towards queer liberation. You can make your heart go towards all of those places by putting your treasures there, which I think is just like this beautiful thing. And that it like, there's an, Mm -hmm. the budget is a moral document that goes along with that. But this time that I read it, I was immediately thought of Lord of the Rings and my precious, the ring, right? Mm -hmm. That it, the ring is a treasure. And even the, like, rings that are doled out among, like, the elves and the men and all of that stuff. And the rings become my precious, right? Because they're a treasure, that's where the heart goes. And because the one ring to rule them all is corrupt and evil, then hearts are turned and transformed to evil. Even when, like, the treasure is not something you want to keep, right? But, like, because Frodo had that treasure for so long... and. And was guarding it and protecting it literally with his life. His heart got so entangled in it and entwined in it that it, hmm. he could not, of his own accord, throw it into the volcano.
1: Yeah. I was also thinking of verse thirty-four, um and it connected to me a cheesy '90s kids movie, Richie Rich, with <laughs> Macaulay Culkin in it. If you've ever yep. seen that, also as a uh, Laurelized Dad from Gilmore Girls, is plays the dad in that. Oh, movie well. I
0: don't. I saw it before I got into Gilmore Girls, so I did not know that. That is fantastic. Edward Herman, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, like, there's this this kind of thing in the movie is there's these uh, people trying to rob this very, very wealthy family. And they keep getting told that the greatest treasure is kept in the vault, um, in the family vault when they finally are able to manipulate their way into getting into the vault, they find out that the greatest treasure to this family were family heirlooms, Mm -hmm. not gold or money or anything else. Um, And it was much of the robber's chagrin and all that stuff. But just as an aside, the lengths this movie (laughs) goes to to make the rich family somehow ethical capitalists, (laughs) like they would not be able to have that much wealth without the exploitation of labor, but
0: uh, that much aside it's
1: still a very cute movie. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's adorable. (laughs) And it like, I mean, that's, realistic for a lot of people right like when we think of what people pack up or take with them when they are fleeing if there's a fire or a flood or that sort of a thing it depends like if they have insurance then you leave the expensive stuff behind but like I don't know anybody who hasn't taken with them at least one family photo or photo album or something or wanted to or tried to yeah and I definitely have like family heirlooms that will always go with me everywhere And then in verse 38, we read, if the master comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds the servants or slaves, so blessed are those slaves, so finds them awake. And I was thinking about it, I was like, that is a long wedding to be coming back (laughs) from in the middle of the night or near dawn. And like, partly, okay, maybe they're traveling to get to and from. But then also I was thinking about Slovakia when I was in Slovakia for a year and like, I went to one of the weddings and we went home pretty early on because my host family had kids and they were like nine and 12 or 13. So they just had earlier bedtimes, but in Slovakia, like wedding celebrations actually do go all night. And so I, yeah. I am intrigued to hear more about like wedding because ce- there are also wedding celebrations that happen for literally days. And so days, yeah, yeah, it's, At first glance, I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, actually, yeah, that that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Yep, yep. And now for our newest segment, which I'm so excited about because this is my first time on the podcast where I actually get to participate in this segment. Let's make a Muppet musical.
0: Yes. This is the segment where we make a musical out of the Muppets. So as a reminder, we've done this a lot, but just as a reminder for Pace and for other folks who are maybe newer to the podcast. This came from a wonderful Twitter conversation between Kay and Rabbi Danya Rutenberg about making Muppets musicals of the Bible. And so this is, let's make a Muppets musical is our attempt at that for the readings that we have. So we can pick who the token human might be and or what Muppets should be cast as what ones or what Muppets should definitely be included in it, that sort of thing. So yeah.
1: I was thinking of the gospel parable. I think okay. that would make a good little Muppet segment or musical. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of Fraggle Rock. And I just, I one of my Rock. favorite shows growing yeah. up. Um, but I was thinking of like the Doozers, Dozers, I can't remember exactly how what they're called, but the little tiny people who live in like fra- Fraggle, the Fraggle world underneath of the, mm-hmm. or in the walls or wherever it is and how they're like the worker bees and so forth and how they are like always alert. And then we have um, one of the other Muppets is Uncle Matt who's always traveling around the world and sending postcards Mm -hmm. about his travels. So I kind of picture him as the uh, person coming back to, uh, and when he comes back, of course, seeing that the doozers have diligently done their work as they always tend to do, so.
0: Yeah would be who I was thinking of like the verse about the master serving everybody which feels completely unrealistic based on what I know about history and people who called themselves masters or who were called masters but it did get me thinking of like is this guy still employing the sweet like if the Swedish chef is his chef right <laughs> is he then requiring the Swedish chef to do the cooking and preparation for him to like serve All of the slaves? Or is the Swedish chef also sitting, perhaps next to Cookie Monster, enjoying the food?
1: Mmm, good question. See, now I have another Star Trek nerdy reference. Can I Mm -hmm. make it? Even though we're in Muppets section? Because Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is one of the shows ongoing right now, it just finished its first season. The captain of that show, Captain Christopher Pike, always cooks for his crew, even though there's like this, these replicators and stuff that can make anything your heart desires. One of the things he finds joy in being captain of the ship and to help build community is he will cook for mm-hmm. them, and then they'll have a meeting over the food he provides. So I just kind of like that idea of a master in that sense, someone of rank and importance actually doing that work of preparing food and serving for others
0: that did not happen on the expanse (laughs) the captain (laughs) of the expanse and in the ship in the expanse the captain of the Rosinante was not the one who cooked occasionally people would cook but not the captain Um,
1: and then just because this is one of the few chances i get to participate in muppet musical i just want to say I really think that God, in any passage, could be played by Sweetums, one of my favorite Muppets, who looks very intense and intimidating and all those things, and yet is just absolutely one of the sweetest Muppets out there, has such a sweet and caring personality.
0: Sweetums also reminds me of Where the Wild Things Are.
1: Mm, Yeah, yeah, I can see that.
0: that's, That's a great, like, I do think there's a, like, looks intimidating, is perhaps untamable, but also is, like, the biggest love bug ever. That, that sounds about right for God. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for filling in as a co-host this week, Pace. We really appreciate you and your support of Nerds at Church and the wonderful sibling relationship we have with Horror Nerds at Church.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. This podcast has been produced by us. Well, this podcast, this particular episode (laughs) aside, this general podcast has been produced by us, by me, Emily Ewing, and Kay Roloff. That is the most complicated way I've ever done that one. (laughs) <laughs> For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerds at church at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, and also if you like what you've heard, uh rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the chemistry Emily and I have as co hosts, definitely also check out Horror Nerds at Church wherever you find your podcasts mm-hmm. and on social media definitely. as well. Yeah, and if you want access to Nerds at Church's uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As and more. Support them on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerds at church. It's cheaper than a COVID test, which now you're often required to pay for because this country is evil. And I also had to throw in a Nerds at Church reference to the way we end our podcast there. So (laughs) Anyway.
0: Yes, indeed. It's also, I believe, uh, cheaper than any one of the Books in Luther's Works, a non-systematic
1: oh, yes. As somebody who owns all 55 volumes of the original American edition Luther's Works, Ooh. that was a very expensive collection, even to buy most of them used over the past, what, 15 years I've been Ooh. studying. Yeah.
0: I have like two or three because I had to buy them for one of my classes in seminary. And not cheap. Also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode.
1: Yay, and as the ancient Christian said, Pax Pax